You're listening to the Trust Issues Podcast. I'm David Puner, a senior editorial manager at CyberArk, the global leader in identity security. When people in the InfoSec industry hear the phrase supply chain attack, names like CodeCov, MoveIt, and Log4j come to mind. These attacks had devastating repercussions for both the primary targets and the downstream clients that rely on their products or services. The interconnectedness of our digital ecosystem means that any weakness in the supply chain can have a cascading effect, amplifying the scale of a breach. The consequences can be far-reaching, ranging from data loss and financial damage to reputational harm and operational disruption. While technical vulnerabilities are still a significant threat, there's been a major uptick in a different type of supply chain attack. Threat actors are targeting by way of social engineering what many consider to be the weakest link in security, the human element. And in these cases, that's been the privileged access of humans working in and maintaining identity-related systems. And that raises critical questions about the trust we place in our interconnected systems and what it takes to safeguard our digital infrastructure. Today's guest is Andy Thompson, who's CyberArk Lab's Offensive Security Research Evangelist. Andy's back to talk about two of the biggest and highest profile breaches we've seen in a while. He takes us through the breaches, who's behind them, how identity plays a pivotal role in both, and the larger implications of this new breed of supply chain attack amid the evolving threat landscape. Then he shares insights into how organizations can better protect themselves and their customers. Here's my conversation with Andy Thompson. Andy Thompson, CyberArk Lab's offensive security evangelist. Uh, thank you very much for coming back onto the podcast. It's it's your fourth time. Uh, I, I don't know if you knew that or not. Really? Yeah. So you're the the first member of the four timers club. You're kind of like our Tom Hanks here at, at Trust Issues. I think. Well, when do I get my jacket, David? That'll be probably fifth or sixth visit. Okay. All right. Yeah. We we've got we've got a designer working on them now. They're nice. They're they're satin. Well, trust me, I've got content for days. So uh, looking forward to it. We had our own kind of little blitz here at the top of the recording with uh, USB cable breaches of some sort, but all of our own doing here. But but now we're we're all set and we're gonna we're gonna dive right in. You, you're just back to the U.S. now after a whirlwind trip to Thailand and Singapore. What were you doing over there? Uh, I was having a lot of fun actually. I spent a couple of days in Bangkok presenting at CyberArk's uh, Impact World Tour. And uh, then I spent the rest of the trip, eight days in Singapore, where I was presenting at GovWare 2023. It's my second time back, where I was on a panel talking about AI and cybersecurity. And then I, I got to present kind of an alternate viewpoint because I'm the offensive guy. So then followed it up with a, a presentation about AI from an offensive perspective. So it was, it was a lot of fun. And then last but not least, I got to eat all the food. That was probably the best part. <laughs> so yeah, the chicken rice, the laksa. Uh, I stayed away from the durian though. Okay. Any particular reason to stay away from it? Have you ever tried durian? It, not only does it taste bad, so. it smells terrible. 
All right. An acquired, an acquired smell, I believe they, they say. Yeah, they would business. actually fine you at the hotel if you had durian in the, uh, and it's, it's that bad. Wow. All right. Good to know. Note to self for when I, when I travel over there. So we were actually sort of in the process of planning this episode a little bit when you were right about to take off for your multi-flight trip back to Dallas. And we were all set to talk about this fall's high-profile breach, the MGM resorts breach. And you wrote a blog post about that not too long ago. And then just in the last few days, actually, I think while you were up in the air, we found out about another high-profile breach that hit the news. So we're going to interrupt our regularly scheduled MGM conversation to take a spin into that more recent breach. And then we're going to go back over to MGM after that. With that being said, this newer breach, specifically an attack on Octa's support unit or their support management system, what happened and what does it have to do with identities? All right. So like you said, the support portal, their ticketing system, I'm assuming, was, was compromised. Ultimately, it led the threat actor to access these really sensitive files called HAR files. And that really led to session hijacking of the clients of Okta that were submitting support tickets. And so uh, it was pretty bad. And what was really bad was it was bypassing the MFA of Okta's clients. And so that's really the, the, the long and short of the, this particular uh, compromise. I just want to couch that as we don't know everything here. And, and there are certain things we may never know. I think it is like personified by Donald Rumsfeld. Remember his quote? Sure. About there's no knowns, the stuff that we know we know, and then there's the known unknowns that, you know, the stuff we know we don't know, and then the <laughs> unknown unknowns, the stuff we don't know that we don't know. So, so the, again, there is a ton of stuff that is available to the public currently, and that's really what we're basing our, our discussions on. But there will be more data released as, as time goes by. It, this was a third-party identity attack. What I think you've already touched upon it a little bit, but can you go into a little bit more about what the vulnerability uh, was here? Okay, so this is an interesting discussion here because most people, when it comes to data breaches, assume it from a technical perspective where there's like a vulnerability that's exploited. And that's kind of the TTPs or tools, tactics, and procedures of threat actors. But this was an issue with the PPT, Papa Papa Tango, where it was the people, the process. Well, in this circumstance, it wasn't the technology. But in this situation, the privileged identity getting into the support system was compromised. And on top of that, this is where a process failed. There were these unsanitized HAR files that had that session token information and the cookies that were then available to that threat actor. So really, this wasn't a technical hack. This was more of a process and people hack. Interesting. So it just goes to show that you can have all the technology in the world, but ultimately you need to also have the processes followed to a T or there could still be problems. Absolutely. And it's important to note that the Octa system this identity access management system, there was nothing vulnerable with it. It wasn't compromised. It was, again, the person and the process that was really at fault here. Do we know who's behind this recent breach? So we honestly don't know currently. 
Nobody's made an announcement taking responsibility or anything, but we have some idea. I mean, back in 2022, when Okta's support panel was uh, compromised previously, that was the threat actor lapses. These were the folks that were responsible for popping Microsoft, NVIDIA, T-Mobile. I mean, these guys were, were and still are fairly nasty. So we could assume that. But also, more recently, there are other threat actors that are actively focusing on Okta. Scattered Spider, which is where MGM comes in. These guys, they're, again, specifically focusing on Okta as a platform. And they've compromised well over 100 uh, different victims per Mandiant. And, I mean, they also, I mean... This is how much they focus on Okta. They have many different names, and, and one of them is Octopus. Get it? Okta could be one of these two, but honestly, we have no idea at this point. And so do we know whether they're going after them for sport, or is it because they, they're, you know, trying to, trying to get, get stuff? They're focusing on that downstream supply chain attack. By compromising the identity access management vendor, they can then pivot into their clients. And because they have administrative access, that really gives them the keys to the kingdom to all their clients. And so it's a very, very juicy target by uh, compromising Okta. So that's really why they're focusing on them, because it really opens the door to all their other clients. So... I'll just state here that we're recording this now on October 26th, and when this episode does wind up releasing, there's things that could have come to light between now and then, of course. So there's a lot that, that we may find out. There's a lot we may not find out. But based on what we know right now, what's the fallout from all of this so far? And, and do you think there's a lot more that will still come to light about this breach? But what don't we know? Okay, so the fallout so far is a limited amount, a handful of clients have been affected. In fact, they were the ones that knew about the issue and were the ones that you know introduced this to Okta. The fallout really, from what we know, is around brand damage, really, and reputation. Okta, unfortunately, has been the victim of several different breaches and compromises. And it also, specifically, this one, is because of the lack of detection and the slow response time. And again, we, we still don't know all the repercussions of this uh, coming from compromised victims and whatnot. But for the most part, in this particular breach, the fallout is fairly contained and limited. So it, it, it's, it's bad, but it could have been a lot worse. So before we move over to MGM, What's the worst case scenario here? Had this, had the suspicious activity not been detected when it was? Wow. Worst case scenario, it would be that they didn't detect this and way more clients were, were compromised. Hundreds and hundreds of clients could have been compromised in this circumstance. And then that would lead to, you know, worst case situations in those organizations. So the data exfiltration of PII, the, the financial loss of all sorts of reasons from operational disruption, proprietary data being leaked. And then you have the regulatory and compliance sort of, you know, penalties that come on this. So this could have been 
absolutely catastrophic if it wasn't for the organizations that disclosed the breach back to Okta so that they could then contain it. I mean, if we're talking worst case scenario, I think the MGM breach is a poster child example. That's a perfect segue to talk about the MGM breach, and we'll go back to what organizations should be on the lookout for. But let's first move on to the attack on MGM Resorts International. Of course, it's a global hospitality and entertainment company with a portfolio of 29 hotel and resort properties, including iconic names like Bellagio, MGM Grand, and Mandalay Bay. The breach occurred in September, and it's one of the most visible and brand-damaging attacks in recent years. Why don't you take us through what happened to MGM, and you know what did the attack look like, what was the attack flow, and what did LinkedIn have to do with all of this? All right, so I like to start off with my favorite movie of all time, 1995, the movie Hackers. Okay. All right, the first, the very first scene is crash override calling the help desk of, of a client because his BLT drive is fried. And, and that's really kind of what happened here. VX Underground really, really did a great job at kind of summarizing this thing. Basically, a company valued at like $34 billion was defeated by a 10-minute conversation. So yeah, pretty nasty, right? So this is where LinkedIn comes into play. Uh, it, it's about OSINT or open source intelligence gathering. By using these sorts of social media and websites and whatnot, they were able to determine the organization and what applications they were using, specifically Okta, and then diving in deeper and finding a privileged administrator within that company that had the level of privilege that they needed. All right. And so now that they picked the target, they picked the victim. Now it was time to socially engineer the help desk. And they were able to convince the uh, help desk to bypass the multi-factor authentication. Now, is this this is so, the MGM help desk that we're talking yes, about? Yes, that's okay. absolutely yep. right. So we don't quite know how they acquired the username and password. It could have been through a data dump, password reuse, uh, phishing attack. Uh, I mean, that, again, we don't know just yet. But the linchpin was the disabling of the multi-factor. And I mean, it, it was simply done via social engineering. I mean, I could come up with an example really quick. You know, you, you call the help desk and you say, hey, Bob, I'm so sorry. I was on a fishing trip and I dropped my phone in the water. Uh, I got a new phone, but I need to reset my MFA. Can you hook me up? I mean, it's just as simple as that. So once they were able to log in and authenticate, that's when they got access to the Okta backend. And from there, they were able to bolt on their own IDP, which gave them persistence along with the ability to escalate their privilege. And so ultimately that allowed them to get access to any application that Okta had configured including their Azure tenant amongst all these other different applications. Some time went by and they did some stupid things like installing malware on a particular server. And that was actually picked up. That really kicked off the incident response. And so at that point, IR decided to shut down the Okta instance, trying to, you know, kick them out. Once they did that, they knew the gig was up. But they, they, they left MGM with a little gift. They, they outsourced to Alpha or the Black Cat ransomware group, and they pushed 
the probably one of the most devastating types of ransomware called intermittent encryption. They push this to their ESXi or their virtualization infrastructure. And so they were running ransomware and were just shutting down hypervisor after hypervisor after hypervisor. Uh, these are the servers that actually host the virtual machines uh, that MGM was using for all their, their systems from reservations, booking, even the uh, slot machines. And so as the ransomware was, was going through all those hypervisors, the just systems just started shutting down one after another, after another, after another. And so that really was what kicked off the chaos. And uh, that's really where we are now. And you had mentioned the movie Hackers. This all made me think of the movie Ocean's Eleven, you know. Casino yeah, going after heist. the casino. Yeah. And and so we do not think that there was any uh, intention to, to, to actually do a casino heist here. This was just, this was in order to get things or other people or other organizations. Is that well, accurate? the MGM was the end target. They really weren't outside of the PII and the customer data that was leaked. Mm -hmm. They were that they were the target. And so that's why the the Octobreach that we were discussing earlier is so relevant because that gave them access to so many other Octa tenants and customers. And so what happened to MGM could have happened to any one of them. Right. And, and like you said, the the personal information of millions of MGM guests was exposed in this breach. Oh, yeah. What are the implications there? And have we seen anything happening with that yet? All right. So MGM announced that PII was leaked. We don't know how much. Rumor is around six terabytes. But again, we don't know for certain. But we're talking names, phone numbers, email address. But it gets nastier. We're talking driver's license numbers, social security numbers, even passport numbers. And so what can a criminal do with that? I mean, we're talking further social engineering, uh, extortion, identity theft. I mean, there's a ton of stuff that you can do with that sort of sensitive information. And what we do know is, is that the data that was leaked was prior to 2019. So I guess that's kind of good. But I mean, I guarantee some of your listeners here have been going to Black Hat uh, well before 2019. So if that's the case, then your PII might actually have been exposed in this data breach. And we'll get to, to we'll get to what um, folks whose PII may have been exposed in this data breach can can do, you know, moving forward in, in a bit. But I, I want to continue on with, with digging into the details of this a little bit. So if we go back to the the help desk scenario that was aided by information that was gleaned from LinkedIn, you were a help desk guy at, at one point, weren't you? Long time ago in a different life, but yeah, I used to be a help desk administrator, very similar to this circumstance that was a outsourced MSP. And the problem with that is, is that I didn't know who I was working with. I didn't know their personalities. And, and the other thing is service level agreements. I was required to have a 90% FCR, which stands for first call resolution. So it was really important for me to close that ticket instead of hey, saying, hey, we're going to keep this open until you can give me whatever qualifying information to verify your identity. So the problem that I find with help desk is their, their priority is not security quite often. It's more about closing the ticket as soon as possible. So that's really where I think 
there was a problem for sure. So protocol had to have been breached at that level for this to have happened. Possibly. We don't know what their policy is. Standard policy that we often see is some sort of a verification of identity. But we're assuming either that was circumvented, bypassed, or the information that was gathered through the OSINT, through social media or whatnot, was able to provide that. I mean, think about it. If you have a post on LinkedIn, you probably have listed your previous jobs, your schooling. That allows you to pivot and cross-reference, I don't know, Facebook. So now you know your wife's name or your husband's name, your kids, your dog's name. Uh, a lot of that, again, can be leaked unintentionally through just posting on, on, publicly on social media. That's very concerning. All things being equal, it seems that MGM did detect this all relatively quickly, and the situation could have been much worse had it taken them longer to, to detect it. How long did it take for them to realize it was going on exactly? And once they detect it, then what do they do? Was that when everything got shut down or was the shutdown a result of the attack? So September 7th, we're assuming that's when the social engineering and the MFA bypass happened. September 11th, five days later, that's when they put out the announcement stating, hey, there's a cybersecurity incident. That's when all hell broke loose. That's the day that Scattered Spider, aka Octopus, kicked off that black cat ransomware. So September 12th is the day that MGM made an announcement and said, hey, certain systems are operational. It can be safe to assume that they were able to recover a lot of those systems that they were that were stood back up from backup, which is a great call. But there's still significant amount of infrastructure that wasn't backed up. MGM was basically stating that the full scope and the cost and impact really isn't quite known. What? Estimates are currently is that this one event has caused MGM of a financial loss of over $100 million. Wow. And, and obviously damage to, to their, their brand reputation and, and all that kind of stuff. Just really just horribly, horribly big impl implications. And, and even though this happened a couple of months ago or almost a couple of months ago, I'm sure we'll be hearing more as, as time goes by uh, as well. Oh, yeah. Now that this tactic has been basically released to the public, it is happening on a daily basis. And I, I'm not kidding. I've had three people call me today and go, holy cow, I read your blog post. This has happened to at least three or four of my clients. So, I mean, that's like 12 different P uh, clients that have been attacked in this exact same way. Social engineering, brokering access into the identity access management system. Uh, it's just a good thing that um, many of these organizations have fairly sound ITDR uh, processes. Identity Threat Detection and Response, ITDR. Great. You're segueing right into to what organizations can take away from all of this. But before we get to that, I just want to ask you, you know, what does it take for an organization like MGM to recover from an attack, an attack like this? How much money do you have? <laughs> There's the option of paying the ransom, which we highly advise against. There is sound backup and recovery. Those are really the best way or standing up new infrastructure and replacing these compromised systems. That's the way to recover. But really, the best way is to not have these incidents happen in the first place. 
Okay. Well, so how does an incident like this not happen in the first place? Well, there's a lot of things that we can do as far as implementing additional controls, that defense in depth that we often hear about. A couple of the recommendations that I would have is making sure that those privileged accounts that like got that admin access to you to Okta really ought to be behind a, a privileged access management solution, a PAM solution, right? That would be one of the first things. Additionally, that really, I mean, everything in your like tier zero infrastructure really ought to be behind a PAM. So domain controllers, any of your like disaster recovery backup systems, SSO, you know, uh, even like your security tools, these need to be behind a PAM solution, especially your identity access and management solution, for sure, for sure. The other thing would be to kind of up your game when it comes to multi-factor. One of the things that we really advocate is moving away from SMS, those text messaging multi-factor, that can be easily hijacked via SIM swapping. We would also say from a, a process perspective, really up the, the security controls from the help desk perspective, really validate the identity so that you're not socially engineered. And another thing that I would recommend when it comes to multi-factor, especially, especially when it comes to those high value targets, those like Okta admins, there really kind of ought to be dual control. You know, the, the two keys where one person approves it and then it goes to another. That's really what you need to have, especially when we're talking about those high value targets, okay? Another thing that I would recommend is good monitoring for like behavior deviations. One of them that we saw in the MGM breach, I believe, was that they were able to detect the user agent of the browser. Now, if your admins are consistently using Chrome, for example, but this person's logging in from Firefox on a Mac, well, that might be a deviation to look into. Another thing that we saw in these data breaches was remote access. I can't remember which breach it was, but they were stating that the IPs accessing their system were from a VPN in Malaysia. So what I would recommend is your organization really ought to implement some sort of secure zone of access. You know, if you're not doing business in Malaysia or Eastern Europe, well, why don't you just block the access to it? Another thing that I would recommend would be more or less allow listing certain assets to broker into the high value targets, right? So making sure you have certain machines defined only for that administrative access. So that would be another thing. One of the, the tactics that we saw just in the MGM breach was that they established persistence by bolting on their own identity provider. And so that gave them, again, the persistence and privilege escalation. So we need to kind of keep an eye out for those sorts of trust changes. So what I would recommend there is really implementing some aggressive logging and detection so that when you see something like, you know, uh, uh, a new directory is uh, appended to it, you're alerted to that. And, and so those would be a couple of things. The last thing, and that this goes specifically to the Okta breach, is those HAR files. Those HAR files, HTTP archive, by the way, if you're curious what it stands for, they contain really two juicy pit, bits of information that the attacker is able to hijack other sessions and bypass MFA. 
what they have is the session tokens and cookies. And so there's two ways to approach this. One, the support application ought to be able to securely store and possibly sanitize that data so that it's not in the HAR files. Uh, but also that could be done from the client side as well. So strip out that valuable, uh, sensitive information before it's submitted to the help desk. So I don't know whose responsibility it is to make sure that that data is safe, but it can be done from both the client and the, the provider side as well. You're essentially saying there's hope here. People, process, and technology, they all really do work hand in hand. And it's not just necessarily plugging in some technology and expecting that you're all set. You need to have these, your people and processes locked down as well or, or Absolutely. rigorous. Uh, it, it's about that papa papa tango. The, the people need to have that awareness. User awareness training is so incredibly valuable. Because I know a lot of the people in the industry are like, oh, you know, the human is the weakest link. Yeah, in some aspects, but you know what? They can also be the, the, the first line of defense that can really protect the organization. So I think in user awareness training absolutely is a critical element in protecting your organization. In this Okta breach, really wasn't about the technology. It was really the process and people that really were hacked. And then what about the PII? What, what, should, what should people know when it comes down to what they're putting out there on social media and what can be used ultimately either against them or their organization? Yeah, just be careful what you're posting, folks. I mean, there's a lot of sensitive information that can be disclosed with social media as far as address, where you live, your occupation, your personal circle of friends, these sorts of things can be absolutely harnessed for a malicious purpose. So those are the sorts of things that you need to be careful of. Like, for example, I do a lot of traveling, but I refuse to post pictures while I'm on the road because that pretty much says, hey, Andy's not home. So these are the sorts of things we call it OPSEC, operational security, making sure you know based on your security posture, really, what sort of information you can publicly disclose. For example, a high value executive or a government official probably shouldn't be posting as much as my grandma, you know? So uh, it, it really all boils down to your security posture, depending on what you disclose on social media. Thank you for the grandma Easter egg. Uh, I don't think we've heard, we've heard from her since episode one. Andy, as always, you're full of information and, and we love having you on the show. For further insights into these two breaches and what you can do, check out our blog post on the CyberArk blog. The first one's called The MGM Resorts Attack Initial Analysis. That's by Andy Thompson right here with support from his CyberArk Labs team. The other post is called Piecing Together the Attack on Okta Support Unit. And that Andy authored along with Shai Nahari, who folks who listen to the podcast know him well. He's our VP of CyberArk Red Team Services, and Kazar Sultan, who's our Senior Director of IAM Product and GTM Strategy, and just has a really, really cool Also, name. we have a, uh, well, two webinars that we're, yep. we're doing. We just recorded the one about the MGM breach, me and Kazar. And then we're also recording this week another webinar uh, about the Okta circumstances. 
So both of those will be recorded. So feel free to check them out. Andy Thompson, CyberArk Labs Offensive Security Evangelist. Always great to talk with you. Thank you. Thanks, David. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Trust Issues. If you like this episode, please check out our back catalog for more conversations with cyber defenders and protectors. And don't miss new episodes. Make sure you're following us wherever you get your podcasts. And let's see. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, drop us a line if you feel so inclined. Questions, comments, suggestions, which come to think of it are kind of like comments. Our email address is trustissues, all one word, at cyberarc.com. See you next time.